shorter chapter tonight. Uh, Revelation chapter 9 was very long. Uh, really, we've got it's about half the length as we look at chapter 10. So that allows us to dig in a little bit deeper, perhaps. Um, this is not a, a dramatic shift. This is just still continuing on in the narrative as we, as we move forward. In chapter 8, so a couple weeks ago, uh, we saw a severe judgment against the earth, particularly the earth meaning the physical structure of the earth, the water and the land and the animals. Um, but the worst was yet to come as chapter 8 came to a close. And then in chapter 9, what we saw most recently, Glenn was very kind to fill in last week, so I guess it was two weeks ago um, that we were looking at chapter 9. The judgment, really the same judgment, but then it sort of accelerated, um, is ultimately going to be against not only the earth, but directly against humanity. Ultimately, a third of humanity are going to die under this judgment. In really graphic terms, it lays this out for us. We saw that, that even this third of humanity, or after this third is lost, there's still two-thirds of humanity that are left. These are very round numbers, of course. These are you know, not numbers at all, actually, percentages, a fraction. That those who remain, you, you would almost hope and you would expect that perhaps they would turn to God, that there might be this, this grief and this awareness of our need uh, for repentance. That's not what we see at all, is it? Rather, they sort of double down in their sinful life, and so there's this... Um, sort of rebuke, part of it's rebuke at the end of chapter 9, part of it is just stating the fact um, that this is what has happened and what ultimately will take place. Um, now, but before we get to the final trumpet, because you remember we left off on the 6th, there's always that 7th, um, but before we get to the 7th chapter, there's really going to be this interlude, and that interlude basically is chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 13 or 14, so it's about a chapter and a half We've got this interlude. We're almost we're used to this pattern by now. Did the same thing we saw the trump or the, the seals, right? Chapter or the, the end of the, the seals, number six, and then there's a chapter break before we get to number seven. And so here there's this, this interlude. And this is this is never random, and this is not merely a, a literary mark. I mean, there is something obviously that John is doing in a literary way, but he has a, a theological purpose that he's going to unfold for us as we look at chapter 10. And so let's go ahead and go there and read it together. Revelation 10, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and that there would be no more delay." No more delay. That's important. Verse 7. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. 
it will make your stomach bitter, but your mouth, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Then I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So as we, as we begin looking at these first sort of three verses, they're sort of in a, in a little section together. Uh, John is going to come face to face with yet another angel. And perhaps more grand even than what we've seen before. This angel is going to descend from heaven and seems to be another emissary of the Lord. It's God's messenger that has this very important message and ultimately seems to be even part of this, of what will be prophesied, the work itself. Now, this doesn't seem to be God himself. It does seem to be an angel. There have been some commentators that have thought it was, was Yahweh himself, and I think there's some indications why that's probably not the case. For instance, he is, is, is um, swearing in a sense. He's making an oath by God. It would be strange to make an oath of himself. It seems to be an angel sent from the Lord in this way. But it's interesting because everything about this description, as we look at verses 1 and 2, uh, there's just divinely given authority, glory. I mean, this is, would have been an impressive sight. John, I mean, by this point, goodness, could anything be more grand than what he has seen? And yet this is an awe-inspiring sight indeed as John looks out. He's, just, he's trying his best to make sense and record about all of these things. Can you imagine being tasked with that? You know, being, seeing these things and trying to write down. And of course, it's under the inspiration of the Spirit. He's not doing this in and of himself. But the image of the angel's dominance over the earth is, it implies that this is global. You notice it, one foot is in the sea, one foot is in the land, meaning that sort of the, the image of, of the, the entirety of the earth is under um, the, the dominion of, of what is ultimately happening here. This is a global or a, a worldwide work. The, the roaring of the seven thunders seems to communicate the, the fullness of this revelation in its own way. Right? So seven is a symbolic number, again, especially in this kind of literature. Uh, it means completeness. Right? Think about the seven days of creation. Completeness, wholeness in this way. I was having a conversation with Lisa Connard, I guess it was two weeks ago after the message, and she, we were talking about that. And she says, all these numbers, the threes and the sevens and the, you know, the twelves and all that. Yeah, these are very symbolic numbers. And more often than not, they're communicating something. We, we don't do that in our culture. <laughs> we're a little bit more literal and straightforward um, in, in how we would communicate these sort of things. But this is to be expected uh, from, from this sort of literature. And again, we're, we're struck by the, the strangeness of these scenes. I mean, if you were to try to paint this, if you were to try to represent this, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be very strange. Not, not quite as strange as the creatures with the eyes and the wings and all that, but it's, it's close to it. Uh, and, we're, and we're accustomed to this by now. Anything in those first three verses that thoughts or questions before we go on? Yeah, Bob? Yeah, it was called numerology, right? I mean, well, that's, that's an English word, but the idea being that, yeah, the, how, to determine the significance and the symbolism of different numbers. Yes, we, we wouldn't do that today necessarily, but, but yeah, and it was true. They, they saw great significance in numbers. Now, obviously, Jews and, and, and the followers of the Lord would not give the same sort of import, but, um, but they still believed that, that there was something to communicate with numbers 
pagans would look at this in very superstitious ways. Like if you, you know, if, if you saw a cat seven days in a row, oh, it's a bad omen. You know, and so, they, yeah, they saw, now, of course, they wouldn't think seven was significant. That was a Christian number. Um, but, yeah, that's a good point, Bob. That, yeah, even just ancient cultures had a, a sense of a significance of numbers in this way that we just typically don't. Yeah. Any other thoughts in those? Let's go on to number four, then. In verse four, John is about to write down what he's witnessing. Of course, that's his job, right? He's witnessing this. God has told him to. And so he's going to start writing this down. But a voice from heaven interrupts him. No, says, stops him. Um, much is being revealed in this book. That's the, the name, right? Revelation. You know, Revelation is actually not the old name for this book. There was, a, there was another name that, like, if you've got an old King James, uh, like, I mean, like an old King James, if you open it up, there's another, there's another name that would have been used. What, does anyone know what it is? The Apocalypse, right? The Apocalypse of John. Now, Apocalypse just means Revelation. Um, and so Revelation is what most modern translations. But yeah, th- this is a book about, you know, the revealing of these, these things that have been withheld, that have been mysterious. But not everything is disclosed to us. Well, we're not told everything that's occurring here. Even this point that, that Bob was bringing out, you know, there's a whole lot of this stuff that's given to us in general sense, but we don't know all the details. And this is one time where he's tell John, no, 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 they can't know about this. You keep that hidden for now. Uh, we're, we're left in the dark about this account, and he's told to seal it up. Uh, now, this doesn't happen often in Revelation, but this is one of the, the few times where he is told, seal it up. No, that is not to be known yet. I think there's just a good application for us in this, particularly about the book of Revelation, that we have to expect that we're going to be surprised by some things in the end, right? If you think that you've got it all figured out, well, I would assure you that you don't. No one does, because God has chosen not to reveal some things. Now, he has a whole lot he is going to reveal, and thank the Lord for this grace that we have this. could be that God just didn't tell us any of Revelation and we're just kind of waiting while well, we know he's coming back. I have no clue what it's going to look like. No, he's revealed a lot to us. And yet God is going to say, I have not revealed everything. And so you think about the, the, the periods, you know, we've talked about this before, with the, all the charts, right, and all of the, you know, it has every single angle filled out. And, of course, on one hand, I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to really understand the word of God there. But I think it, in some ways that can... And especially just the posture of that can betray the fact that we're not told everything. And this is one instance of that. Now, the pattern for the rest of the book is going to be a more exhaustive revelation. Especially up here, there's sort of this interesting break here in chapter 10. Don't tell them everything. Keep this hidden. But now as we go forward, there's going to be less of the hiddenness and more of the openness as we get to this latter stage. So we should be careful not to press beyond what has been revealed, and yet God is revealing much to us here. If I had time, I could go through, honestly, if not each and every verse, nearly every verse here, to find parallels in the Old Testament. He's citing Ezekiel, he's citing Daniel, especially Daniel chapter 12. If you were to go read Daniel chapter 12, which maybe you should, you know, you might do that in your devotional time, you'll see a lot of parallels here. He's he's drawing from the book of Jeremiah and so on. There's, There's a lot of that here. But we, you know, it would just be so cumbersome to go through all that. Maybe I could at least like put up on the screens a bunch of verses. But anyway, I mean, there's, there's a lot that's here. Because God, what, what God is doing here is not out of the blue. 
It's not that God is revealing these things and they're going, oh my goodness, I never know. But really, oh yes, like what God did with Ezekiel, like what God did with Jeremiah, like what God told us. Goodness, you read Daniel? Has anyone? No, surely y'all have, but maybe you haven't read it since we've been going through it. Go back and read it. My goodness, there's so much there. Daniel is sort of the, the book of Revelation of the Old Testament. Um, and so certainly these things are not out of the blue. God is simply fulfilling what he has promised because that's God's character. That's what God does. As we get to verses 5 and seven, five through 7, so these three verses, what we see really here is that this old creation, this present world as we have known it, is coming to an end kind of an abrupt end. Again, thinking about Daniel, that the, the angel here has declared that this would be, a, that, that back in Daniel, chapter 12, I think it is, there's a delay. He says, the, the, these things will not happen for a long time. There will be a great delay, sort of revealing a little bit. But this is the opposite here. Now the angel here declares the wait is over. What, what verse is that? Maybe, maybe verse 7. Right? No, verse 6, there would be no more delay. And so there's, there's, a, there's an increase that, this, that the pace is speeding up here at this point. The wait is going to be over. So, but I have a question for you. If, if this world, this old order, what we're used to, what, what we know of as, as this world, if this is coming to an end, well, then what is all this that John's going to focus upon later? New heavens and new earth? You know, what, what is that? What is that? Chapter 21 and chapter 22, that's the whole thing. That's the end of Revelation, the new heavens and new earth. What is... What is all that about? Is God sort of going to just destroy this world and throw it away? No one have any thoughts? Well, the fact is, is the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but what seems to be clear, what I, what I would say with a fair degree of confidence, so I can't say certainly, but with a fair degree of confidence, what I think is consistent with this, is not so much that God is going to take this world and sort of throw it away, but rather recreate it. A restoration, sort of a new Eden. I mean, that's clear, but the question is whether it's going to be this world or a completely new world. Now, he could just throw this world away and create a new one, but it seems, I think there's a good argument to be made that rather than completely destroying this world, I think a lot of it's going to be burned, a lot of it will be sort of brought down to the basic part, so to speak, full body-off restoration, um, but ultimately to still use this same world and recreate from here. Uh, again, a restoration of what God had originally intended. And now, again, the pictures we get the new heavens and the new earth, the eternity that we'll spend there, uh, it's a beautiful picture. It is a glorious picture, um, that reminder that we're not merely going to spend eternity floating around in heaven, you know, playing a harp. Um, of course, we know the spirits of our loved ones are with the Lord now, they are done with suffering. They're not merely asleep somewhere. And yet, their bodies are still here. You go and visit them, right? If you cremated them, you go and visit perhaps where, you know, where the, the remains were left in that way, spread, about, spread out possibly at the ocean or whatever it would be. But rather that ultimately that, that we will have resurrected, glorified bodies then to spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. But we'll get there eventually. See, chapter 21 It'll be a few weeks, <laughs> but God willing, we'll get there eventually. So we don't know everything, but the big picture, the grand narrative, the outline of the, sort of the final chapter, if you will, of God's work here is revealed to us. 
And that's ultimately what we're studying here. Very soon uh, in the story, when the, the seventh trumpet sounds, history is going to come to its end. It's chapter 11, verse 15. God willing, we'll see that next week. All of God's plans, His purposes for creation, including those things that have been hidden, will be revealed. At this, at this point in the story, at, the, at this end time, when that seventh trumpet uh, is sound. Uh, as we look at verses 8 through 10, um, it's an interesting thing. He, he says, you know, you're going to eat this. It's going to taste good. It's going to taste sweet, but it's going to make your stomach sour. It's going to make your stomach sick. What, what, is, what is it about? He's going to eat a scroll? Is this like a new weird fad diet? I mean, I, you know, I, don't, I don't get the whole point here. What, what is he talking about here? Well, this is not the only time that we see this in the Bible, the idea of eating God's word, eating this, the scroll in this way. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 2 uh, has this. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. So I'm throwing at least a few verses out there for you uh, that you can maybe look at later. And if you want, I'm always glad to send you this if you're just curious. Um, th- this is highlighting John's prophetic ministry. This is what Ezekiel did, right? This is what Jeremiah did. So there's this, uh, John is functioning in a prophetic office in this way. Now, he's an apostle. He's not a prophet in this way. But at this point, he is sort of functioning in this prophetic office. In verses 9 and 10, again, it's going to sort of show the details of that. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 9, this is what will happen. Verse 10, John says, yep, tasted sweet, made my stomach bitter. Well, the, the idea here, again, I think symbolically, clearly, not, he's not actually eating a, a scroll. Um, scrolls were made of parchment. That would really not feel good going down. <laughs> have you ever seen parchment? I mean, just think about like eating like bristles and stuff. It would not have been good. But it seems to be that, that God's word is sweet like honey. It'll taste good going down. Daniel or uh, David, the other D, David often speaks about that, right? In the, in the Psalms, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. That's the first part. But... In this sense, God's word prophesies destruction against those who have turned away from him. And so thus the bitterness. Yeah, it tastes good. It's God's word. There's, there's, uh, there's joy in that we're receiving God's word. But yet, it's a word of destruction in this instance. So thus the, the bitterness. There's more prophecy to be had in verse 11, it tells us. It says, John, you're going to have to prophesy against many people, nations, and kings. And that's what we're seeing here in the rest of the book as we go through. More judgment, more. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that we're going to get to, especially once we get to chapter 12, that's the stuff that you often think of, you know, the beast and, you know, um, you know the, the whore of Babylon and the great harlot and all these sort of things. And what, what do these things mean? It's mostly in chapter 12 that we're going to begin to see those things. So there's, there, again, it's sort of getting broader. The, the revelation, uh, we're, we're learning more as we go through. It's accelerating History is, is nearing its end, um, but, but there's more for us to see before it does. It's, it's, not, it's not the end of the story. You almost feel like it is, but, but then sort of it's part two as we continue. Uh, soon John is going to pull back that curtain about Satan, about the beast, uh, and about, again, the harlot of Babylon, and that's really going to lead up to the new heavens and the new earth. So these sort of big episodes, the great white throne judgment and all that, that's, that's coming up pretty soon here. Um, often, again, the questions that we think about when we think about the book of Revelation. What, what insights, thoughts, questions do you have as we, as we close tonight? 
think, I think that's a good, because it's a little shorter, we got to look at the picture a little bit more fully. Any thoughts, questions as we, as we conclude tonight? Anybody? Yeah, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a great point, Glenn. I mean, there's a, there's a sense of, of continuity. It's the same earth and yet renewed. Um, think, I mean, think about even just like tangibly, like we've got, and I've mentioned this before because I, honestly I've kind of grown to love it, but there's, uh, when I go jogging in the morning, there's this particular mountain that basically um, Lester is on the other side, you know, real pretty mountain. And imagine if I were to come back, the new heavens and new earth, and be able to see that's that same mountain. Now, you know, things look different. My, my house isn't here anymore. Things look different now. Uh, maybe I now live in Tahiti or something. You know, I don't know where I live now. It wouldn't be called Tahiti anymore, but... You know, but that same mountain is still there, right? That same coastline is still there, but yet differences, right? I mean, we, we, we won't live in the same way, and yet in many ways it will be similar. Um, I, I think that uh, what there's, there's I'm still trying to get a grasp on why some of this is culturally, but I think that, that life in the new heavens and new earth will be more like this life than we usually assume. It'll be different, right? For instance, there's, gonna, there's no marriage, that's really different. We can't imagine what that looks like. But it doesn't mean that we won't recognize people that we knew from the life before. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things like, again, we, you know, we won't be idle. Um, there'll be things to do. There'll be ways to grow. There'll be excitement and adventure and all those sort of things that, that we're used to in this world, and yet without the limitations of this world. You know, that, that busted knee that you get when you go running, you know, the creeks in your ankle, you know, none of that. Gone. It's just incredible. We could, I mean, we could reflect on that for the whole evening. Thank you, Glenn. That's good. And just, you know, just, a, uh, just sort of a, com- you know, a commercial. Um, C.S. Lewis, if you've not read him, and I think most of us would know that name, surely, right? He, uh, he, he has such a way. On one hand, he's not giving like a, an allegory of the Christian faith in his books. Now, he has some Christian writings. But what he does is he takes these themes and then explores them. Like in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's not, he's not trying to make an exact analogy of the cross and things like that, but he's using similar principles, and in a way it sort of illustrates as he's telling a story and so on. So I highly commend him to you. I mean, and he's, you know, in, in some ways would have some theological differences, but in many ways I think a very helpful and enjoyable um, author. Yeah, thank you. Any final thoughts, questions? Well, God willing, we'll, we'll do chapter 11 next week. Uh, similar in size, just a little bit longer, but I think definitely going to be another interesting study for us. Let's go ahead and, and close in prayer. Our Lord, we do rejoice that you have revealed these things to us. Lord, we rejoice that, Lord, we know in, in, in the most important sense how things will end. It will end in your victory. It will end in the closure of sin and brokenness and a restoration of all which, that which is good. And we know that we will spend eternity with you, Lord.
without the, the hurt and the limitations and, Lord, all of the loss that, we can, that we're all just accustomed to in this world. So, Lord, we pray that as we do endure those things in this world, that you will ready us, give us joy and hope as we think about, Lord, the eternity that we'll spend with you and with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great night. Deacons, we'll see you downstairs.